0: Well, welcome to the midweek edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and uh, today is Everyone Wednesday, and I'm really super excited about Everyone Wednesday. Uh, this is a conversation I wanted to have yesterday on Super Tuesday, for but we're doing it today instead for a couple different reasons. Uh, first of all, the author of the book is a someone who has a political connection, so I thought that'd be fun to do on Super Tuesday. But secondly, we have a ton of these books to give away, and you are going to want to you're going to want to have them. And the reason, and I think it's so important, is the the fact that there are people in the world right now who just don't understand um, who we are as Christians. And I think the people that don't understand it the most are us. We don't understand who we are in Christ in this world. Um, You know, and it's it's heartbreaking to see the world and the devastation around us. What five, six, seven thousand people in Turkey, and and uh, you know the the earthquakes there and the damage and destruction. It's just, it's its awful. And people are looking for answers and they're looking to us for answers. And what do we say? Do we have Pat, God answers? You know, I mean, sometimes it's amazing how many times we would like to think, well, we've got this figured out because Jesus Christ is the light of the world and God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. But what does that mean to people who are hurting? What does that mean to people who are lashing out and reaching out? And they don't even know that they're really desperate for what's happening. I've really been compelled of late uh, to be have a heart of compassion for people who are outside the faith, who are angry and frustrated and disgusted and maddened yeah. and things of that nature. And it's not to condone what they do. It's not to excuse what they do. I mean, I don't know if you've uh, heard this. Um, over the past weekend, a woman in New Jersey was killed And the reason she was killed isn't quite necessarily apparent yet. Um, Sayerville, New Jersey, councilwoman Eunice Dwumfor was found dead just outside her apartment in her white Nissan SUV. She had been shot multiple times. You know, I don't don't get it. I mean, I, I don't understand why somebody could be that angry and that frustrated. To actually feel like they ne- needed to take someone's life. I was I, I spent some time with my uh, son Jake and daughter Kaylee over the past couple of days, and um, you know we, when they get older and you move, they we move away, they move away, they're moving in their own careers or whatever. To get a couple hours over lunch or dinner with your adult kids is, is priceless, and I cherish the moments that we had. But we're at the point now in our relationship, where as they are moving. You know, Jake's twenty eight, Kaylee's thirty two, finishing up a doctorate, a master's. In the other order Um, and their older sisters moved out of state you know I'm this season of life now we're kind of enjoying the grandparent side but also liking I think it was Tim Kimmel years ago a Christian uh, therapist and uh, family values guy who said this he had a whole uh, slew of uh, it was uh, an acrostic of sorts uh, the alliteration all the words started with C describing what it was like to be a parent of a child and he said when you get to the, you know, right before adult years and into adult years, you basically get fired as a coach for your kids and hired back as a consultant. And I love that phrase. So in the consulting time of life, we were having this dialogue just back and forth about, you know, what it was like for me to be their age and and that type of stuff. It was really healthy. It was kind of, you know, transparent time. Some things we had never really talked about before. But that's one of the things we discussed was this, they are young adults. I mean, this young woman who was a uh, elected to the city council in uh, Sayreville, New Jersey, uh, literally shot to death in her car And about the same age as my kids or possibly your kids. And what does that mean in the culture? Why, how do people get that angry? And I said, you know, for me growing up, I was the kid who just didn't want to get in trouble. <laughs> I figured my, my sister and brother were going through stuff, and I thought, I'd, I'm going to be the good kid it was just easier to be compliant. But older, you have to learn how to just not be compliant, but, you know, want to seek the Lord and do what's right. And that's the Holy Spirit in your life. It's not you. And you realize that when you're older. But when I see people who just get so angry, I mean, this is a woman. She's African-American descent. She ran as a Republican. Uh, She was a council member uh, for the Saraville City Council in that borough there. And basically you know i i could not for the life of me understand as i read the story um this is someone i mean liked on both sides of the aisle she's a republican uh got high praise from the democrat mayor victoria kilpatrick said in a statement that she was a dedicated member of our borough council truly committed to serve all of our residents the republican state committee chairman for new jersey bob hugan uh, said the horror and deepest sorrow at the senseless violence uh, can't be can't be understated enough. We will remember Eunice for her steadfast dedication to the community, as well as her deep and abiding Christian faith. We have the utmost confidence that law enforcement will bring the perpetrators of this heartbreaking tragedy to justice. God bless Councilwoman Dwumfor and her family. Uh, The investigation uh, lingers on. Uh, New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy said that New Jersey State Police will also be supporting in this ongoing investigation. This is a woman who uh, basically was a single mom for a number of years. She had recently gotten married to a pastor who was a legal immigrant from Nigeria. Uh, she ran in a heavy, heavily Democrat district and actually was able to unseat a Democrat incumbent. Her former campaign manager, Karen Bailey Babert told WABC she was happy with her new husband. It seemed that with her daughter, she was living the life. She was living the American dream, a beautiful uh motivated person. And then uh, she said, you know, the things that lit up her life, her daughter lit up her life, her husband, Jesus Christ was the one who lit up her life. She was very faithful. She was very driven. She was a shining star. And now that star will shine brightly in heaven, uh, you know, for for all eternity. and, And we can't wait to meet her. But I have to wonder, you know, as Christians living in the culture right now, And I've said this for the past couple of years, and I've gotten a couple of chuckles from some of the guests I've had on the program, too, saying, Look, for the longest time, we in the body of Christ have looked at living in America as kind of a home game, you know, God and country, uh, baseball, apple pie, you know, all that stuff. And Christianity was revered, it was accepted, it was appreciated, it was the standard for our morals and values. And then something happened. Something happened along the along the way. And it's something that I know when I was working with Chuck Colson President Fellowship Ministries the Wilberforce Forum, um, he used to talk about postmodernism or postmodernism, as Chuck used to say. And I, I could never really understand what he meant. What he meant was basically we have moved into a time when the prevailing cultural norms of the day are no longer rooted in scripture. They're no longer based on a biblical worldview. And so it takes concepts like right and wrong, good and bad, et cetera, et cetera, and, and really turns them on their head. And so you see people now who will ask the question, you know, well, why, why should I believe in a biblical reality? What, what does that even mean? And you know, part of the, the problem is we can look at us as the church and say, well, we have not done a very good job of presenting the biblical worldview. We haven't done a good job of presenting the gospel message. We talk a great game about the gospel. My, Bible, my, my church preaches the gospel. My pastor teaches the gospel, et cetera, et cetera. But unless we fully understand that the gospel is we are sinful people born into a sinful fallen world, we cannot free ourselves from that sin. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to forgive the sin, to pay the penalty for the sin. He's restoring things back to the, what he intended when he created the heavens and the earth and created the Garden of Eden and created mankind to dwell there. We, see, notice again, we can't do anything. There's a meme going around right now that says, you'll notice in the uh, in the Beatitudes that everything is about service to people. And by the time we get to the Nicene Creed, it's all about God. Well, <laughs> here, here's a concept. Perhaps the church fathers felt that the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, the Athanasian Creed were all important because the church could not come to some kind of consensus on who God was and how we are to worship him. See, it's not an either or with the Beatitudes and with the creeds. It's a both and. The fact that we even have to have that conversation is just a little numbing to me. But yet here we find ourselves as Christians now, and I I talk about this often, I believe it's gonna be away games for us in America as the church until Jesus comes back. There is no home field advantage anymore. The the concept of if we just elect the right president, if we just get enough people on the Supreme Court who have biblical values, then it'll go back to the way it was. Well, brothers and sisters, the way it was that we remember had all sorts of problems. Oh, it was nice for certain people. But it wasn't nice for everyone. And for us as Christians to say, I want America to be like it was in 1930 or 1940 or 1950 because the values were different. Well, yeah, the values were different, but people still treated each other horribly. And we now have an opportunity, a golden opportunity to take a look at the world around us and say, okay, we are the visiting team and the world is the Harlem Globetrotters, basically. (laughs) We're the the, the New Jersey generals or whatever that show team was that always got beaten by the glo- Globetrotters. And I say that because they're in town. But now we're the ones who are living as strangers and aliens and exiles. So I've heard this for 40 years, but now it's really happening. We are not living in a postmodern world. We're living in a post-Christian world that's even anti-Christian. So how do we do this? Well, It's Everyone Wednesday, and today we've got a special guest author joining us to talk about a special book. The author is Robert Thune. He's a pastor. He's a Bible study instructor. He has a new book out, a commentary on the book of 1 Peter. It's called Life as an Outsider. If you feel increasingly displaced in American culture, you're not alone, and quite frankly, I don't think God's unhappy with that. Yes, the culture is going crazy, but God is redeeming everything to himself, and this is part of the redemption process. So how does a Christian living in an increasingly anti-Christian world speak the language that we do and help others in the culture to understand that as well? Robert Thune is going to join me on the other side of this break. We're going to talk about 1 Peter, life as an outsider, and what we can glean from this powerful epistle. It's coming up next as The Bottom Line Continues.
1: You know, I just finished a meeting in Africa with a group of guys and I said to them, Here's the deal. They want to know how things are going in the United States. Hey, I'm not gonna to lie to you, things are crummy. But I said, What you do every day is you get up every day, gentlemen, and you realize that none of this matters. God is in control. And if you believe that, then it, it's all downhill. And and I said to them, I said, So as we struggle here with the things that we're planning to do here in Africa, it's exciting to see all the things that you guys want to do and the plans you're making. Just know that God is in charge. And so, and the bad things that are happening in the United States, God is going to work all of them to good, Romans eight twenty eight. That's the only solution
0: is just go back
1: every day to Jesus and ask him for guidance in what
0: you're supposed to be doing. Amen and amen. Dennis Wilson, Wilson Financial Services, 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or go to kbrightradio.com forward slash Wilson Financial. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Well, today on The Bottom Line, we have a special conversation to have, and the reason it's really special for me, this is just me being very personal, is we're going to take a look at a book that I feel like I've been quoting more and more uh, as the days wear on And this new uh, Bible study series that our friends at New Growth Press have put out, a uh, brand new commentary on First Peter, Life as an Outsider. It's a study guide, of course, with Leader's Notes, part of the Gospel-Centered uh, In the Bible Life series, and today our guest to discuss this is uh, Robert Thune, who's the founding pastor of Coram Deo Church in Omaha. Nebraska. He's also the creator of the Daily Liturgy podcast and the author of Gospel Eldership and, of course, First Peter that we're talking about here too. Bob and his wife, Lee, have four children and live in Omaha, Nebraska. Bob Thune, welcome to the Bottom Line Show today. Hey, thanks. Very good to be with you. We're going to get the first question out of the way because Thune is not the kind of last name you hear on a regular basis, but since we do have a U.S. Senator who is also named Thune, I understand there's a family connection that many of our Bottom Line listeners, especially in Southern California, will be interested to know.
2: Yes, John Thune, who is the U.S. senator from South Dakota, and uh, also the House or the Senate minority whip right now, is uh, my uncle. Yeah, my dad's brother.
0: How fun! politics in the family blood, or uh, did you see the black sheep who kind of wandered off and uh, wound Yeah, up yeah. there's
2: no other politician besides him, but he's done, <laughs> he's done very well, and we're glad, uh, we're, we're thankful for his uh, influence.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I, and I think I say that it's very important, because I know a lot of people are concerned that if we don't have an impact in the culture when it comes to the political world, that the church is really in bad shape. You and I both know, of course, well, God's God, and sovereignty means he gets whatever he wants, so we don't have to worry about that too much, but at the same time, we don't want to be like the 25 million Christians who could be voting and aren't voting and aren't engaged in the political realm, and so I'm grateful that uh, we have John Thune as a U.S. Senator, but I'm also grateful that we have Bob Thune as a Bible teacher and a pastor, and and especially uh, with this new book, because uh, you talk about 1 Peter being the kind of epistle that we look at and say, well, what's life to be a Christian in an increasingly post-Christian world? Peter understands that and articulates that, doesn't he, Bob? Yeah, it's real fascinating. If you think about the the,
2: the New Testament books and the order in which they were written and what's going on in the Roman Empire at that time, and, and really as we get to 1 Peter and understand the sort of situation in which that book is written, it's very much, you know, he, he addresses it to the, the exiles and the dispersion, which is this Jewish term sort of harkening back to the, the later stages of the Old Testament when the people were sort of scattered among the nations, and so it very much is, he, he's writing with an intentional focus on Christians more and more being outsiders within the culture of, of Rome. Uh, And so it does have great resonance for where we find ourselves today, I think, in in Western
0: culture. It's fascinating when you consider that within the past, let's say, eight years here in the United States, Christians especially have been kind of faced with a couple of different options. Option number one is, do you elect a guy who could turn out to be a modern day Cyrus to be your president and still able to maintain your faith in Christ? Number two, the fact that now, more and more, it feels like as we hear about these cases where Christians are being, I I won't say it's full-blown persecution, but it's certainly uh, an imposition, you know, in terms of being a, a Christ follower here in the U.S. with regard to certain legalities, but you mentioned the word exile. And I think more and more, that's probably something we can identify with more readily as Christians, and I, it, and, and I don't think God's not okay with that. I don't want to use double negative too many times there, Bob Thune. but is that a pretty accurate assessment of what you're seeing in the culture right now?
2: Yeah, I think if you dial the clock back, you know, 50 or 60 years, the, the culture was a lot more friendly to any kind of religion. And I, I don't I'm not sure that that meant the culture was more Christian, but it certainly yes. was more favorable to religion and to Christianity. And I think we've certainly moved in a direction that many people would call, you know, post-Christian or post-Christendom, where everything is just more contested. And no one's going to applaud for you for going to church and being a Christian and loving Jesus that, you know, you, you're more likely to be uh, if not persecuted for that, at least sort of looked at with skepticism. And so certainly I think we all feel that we all feel that the, the cultural environment around us has shifted in, in some ways over the course of the past few decades. And, and so, yeah, we, we, we have two possible responses that we can become negative and sort of entrenched, or we can think about, okay, how does, how does our posture then need to change? How, what do we see in the scripture itself in terms of how God's people learn to, to thrive in that kind of a world? And that's what first Peter has some things to say about.
0: Robert Thune is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. Pastor Thune is the author and kind of the overseer if you will of this new commentary on first peter it's called life as an outsider and we have a link for the book up at the bottom it is kind of weird though to make sense of this the fact that we are god's elect but it's almost like we were elected to be exiled as it were help us understand what that means and especially you, you have a, a lesson in this book that i find fascinating with regard to a couple different types of hope that the elect exiles actually have yeah,
2: well, you you know, so he, Peter uses in the introduction, he calls God, he uses this phrase elect exile. So it's interesting, because on the one hand, it's emphasizing the sovereignty of God and God's, you know, choice of his people. And yeah, on the other hand, it's emphasizing the fact that you're going to be in a hostile environment, and you're, you're, you're in a world that does not welcome your presence. And so that juxtaposition is interesting. But I think it actually resonates with much of what the Old Testament uh, how God's people had to live in the midst of Babylon, for instance, or in the midst of the Assyrian occupation, and so, um, yeah, the, Peter has a a great vision for us. If we can grab hold of both of those realities, what does it mean to be elect exiles? It can really help us. And and he talks about having a living hope, um, which is a powerful phrase because I think most of us, at least the way I grew up in in a Christian household in America, you know the hope of the gospel was for when you die, you know, so we all knew we have a dying hope. Like when I get Mm -hmm. to, when I get to the end of my life, I have hope that I'm going to be with Jesus, but Peter wants us to also have a a living hope, a hope that's forward-looking and that realizes, Hey, history is in the hands of almighty God and we belong to him. And so we don't need to be negative and, and uh, you know, uh, concerned about whether we're going to make it. We actually need to be a, a people marked by a kind of hope that the culture around us can find distinct and unique.
0: Yeah. And I I love that distinction between the two of them, because when you said dying hope, my first thought was, well, how many times have you been with someone who's in their final stages of this life? And they'll, they'll either they'll ask for it or we'll talk about what is your dying wish? You know and and you and I both know if you look at the, the, the biblical use of the term hope versus you know the cultural term of the youth wish the, the wish is a you know kind of that Hail Mary at the end of the game where you just gotta fire it up there and know it's gonna land somewhere, just hopefully in the arms of where you want it to. But the hope is the expectation of what is certain, and so we have the hope for you know the end of our days, but then also we have the hope that we live with too, and that leads us to live a life that is holy. And it's so interesting because. I've talked to quite a few Bible students and scholars of late, Bob Thune, who are of the mind that one of the ways that holiness really does have an impact on the culture and on our lives in particular is to kind of uh, take a look at the Desert Fathers, you know, that kind of wilderness type of experience. What do you mean when you write about what Peter talks about in his first epistle, what it means to be, uh, you know, have a holy life and to pursue holiness and love?
2: Well, you know, holiness, I think when we hear holiness, we immediately think of, you know, the purity of our lives or the integrity of our lives. And that's certainly part of it. But also, right, the word holy just means set apart. And so the idea is how do we live with Christian distinctiveness and and in a way that's unapologetically Christian, but also not um, not brittle, if that makes sense. I think, you know, what it means to live with holiness is a joyful, hopeful, a peaceful kind of posture that because our hope is in Christ, um, we don't need to always fight, we don't need to always defend ourselves, but nor do we need to, nor do we try to compromise or change the way we live so that people think they, you know, agree with it or resonate with it. It's just this posture of um, really faithful presence is kind of the language that I I like, because it's, it's it's a way of living in the world in a hopeful way. Um, but in a way that also is charitable and, and um, open to disagreement and isn't afraid if people don't think I'm a, uh, don't agree with the way I live, that's not going to bother me because um, I want to live in a in a way that is a hopeful kind of holiness.
0: You know, it's interesting when you talk about uh, in this new book on First Peter, Life as an Outsider, which we have up at thebottomlineshow.com. Uh, one of the points that is worth making, but seems like it's almost somewhat redundant, is the fact that Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of our lives. And, and, and w- at the same time, though, I've seen, uh, you've probably seen it too, and this is anecdotal, it's just our own experience as opposed to, you know, scientific study, the number of people who've had their faith really rocked by cultural events over the past, uh, let's say, 10 years, and all of a sudden begin to realize, well, maybe that faith wasn't as foundational as we thought. I mean, talk about why it's important for us as true believers, true Christ followers, to recognize that Jesus Christ is the foundation of our life, but for many people, we haven't really asked about what is that foundation really means. Yeah, um,
2: you know, Peter talks about a salvation ready to be revealed in the last day, and so what that does for me, even as I was studying this book and and writing this Bible study, is I think our we, we Christians in America, and I'm speaking for myself as much as anyone who might be listening, our, our hope can tend to be backward looking, right? Back to, we look back to the day we trusted right. in Jesus, right? right. And, and Peter wants to pull us forward and say, no, we're all, salvation is always looking back to what Christ has done for us, but it's also forward looking, it's also anticipating what is to come. And that's the thing that I think can actually ground the kind of faith that doesn't get, um, doesn't feel tumultuous when mm-hmm. the culture around us shifts but that, that's looking forward to, hey, Christ has us, and Christ has the world in his hands, and this whole thing is headed in the direction he wants it to go. It might not feel comfortable to us where it is right now, but if our faith is properly grounded in the new heavens and new earth and what Christ is, is doing uh, in the future, it really helps to sort of buoy us and strengthen us in the moments that feel very unsettling.
0: I love that. Uh, Robert Thune is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. First Peter, Life as an Outsider, is the brand-new commentary. It's a study guide with leader notes. It's part of the Gospel-Centered Life in the Bible series that we've been focusing on for the past couple of years here on The Bottom Line Show. There's a link for the book up at the show.com and uh, more information on this conversation coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. It is everyone Wednesday. Today we're having a powerful conversation with Robert Thune about his new book on First Peter. It's called Life as an Outsider, It's part of this uh, outstanding series from New Growth Press that uh, is taking some of the smaller, less recognizable portions of scripture and bringing them to light. Um, We have a Super Tuesday connection in that Robert Thune is the nephew of uh, South Dakota Senator John Thune, the pride of Biola University. And it's everyone Wednesday today here on The Bottom Line Show. We have five copies of this book to give away. Five copies of the book, First Peter, Life as an Outsider, a perfect resource for the Christian church living in America in 2023. Would you like a copy? Since you listen early, we give you the phone number first. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. It's kind of like they do with the... Uh, the movie theaters now where you reserve your ticket early or the amusement parks where you go online and you get to reserve. If you tune in for the first half hour of the Bottom Line Show, we always give you first dibs at calling in and winning a resource. But we have five copies of Pastor Robert Thune's book to give away, First Peter, Life as an Outsider. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278. That's the number to get you through to the Bottom Line. You may be in a small group Bible study right now that would benefit from this, especially when you consider that sometimes all we want to do is shake our fists and bark at the moon with regard to the evils that are happening in the culture. But brothers and sisters, we're not called to Christianize the culture. We're called to go into all the world and preach the gospel. There are people who are wreaking havoc in the world right now simply because they don't understand their sin nature. They don't understand who God is. They've not been touched by the gift of faith through the power of the Holy Spirit. Our job is to present the gospel to them and not get upset when they come at us and say, oh, that horrible song at the Grammy Awards. Well, of course. I mean, it's only getting worse in that regard. How do we make things better, though? We live as exiles and outsiders. More of my conversation with Pastor Robert Thune talking about First Peter. It's coming up next as the bottom line continues.
3: Life insurance will never replace the person you love, but that money can help you get through life when it feels impossible. When your life insurance claim is denied while well, you're already dealing with so much, you need someone on your side. Stephanie Cover of Cover Law used to work for the insurance companies. She challenges and understands the way insurance companies think. Hire Stephanie to file a life insurance appeal while everything is still fresh in your mind. Don't let the insurance company get away with greedy behavior while you're in mourning. Stephanie Cover will do everything in her power to get you the financial protection which was promised to you as a beneficiary of the policy. The money from the life insurance proceeds can supplement your income so you can support yourself throughout the process of bereavement. Save Stephanie's number or call her now at 877-214-4935. That's 877-214-4935. Or you can fill out a contact form at kbrightradio.com/coverlaw. Stephanie Cover. She knows the other side. Life insurance will never replace the person you love, but that money can help you get through life when it feels impossible. When your life insurance claim is denied while you're already dealing with so much, you need someone on your side. Stephanie Cover of Coverlaw used to work for the insurance companies. She challenges and understands the way insurance companies think. Hire Stephanie to file a life insurance appeal while everything is still fresh in your mind. Don't let the insurance company get away with greedy behavior while you're in mourning. Stephanie Cover will do everything in her power to get you the financial protection which was promised to you as a beneficiary of the policy. The money from the life insurance proceeds can supplement your income so you can support yourself throughout the process of bereavement. Save Stephanie's number or call her now at 877-214-4935. That's 877-214-4935. Or you can fill out a contact form at kbrightradio.com slash stephanie cover she knows the other side
0: robert thune is my guest today here on the bottom line i'm roger marsh and if you didn't hear in the opening segment he revealed the big shocking news that uh, John Thune, the senator from South Dakota, is in fact his uncle. Uh, Robert Thune is founding pastor of Quorum Dale Church in Omaha, Nebraska, a graduate of Reformed Theological Seminary, which means a couple weeks ago, uh, one of your old uh, college profs, Steve Brown, was here on the program, and that's always a kick in the head when Steve's with us too. Um, the book that we're talking about today is First Peter, Life as an Outsider. It's part of the Gospel-Centered Life in the Bible series that's been so popular with Bottom Line Show listeners. We have a link for the book up at the show.com Bob, during the break, we were talking about uh, the practice. Practicality of taking a look at First Peter. I know personally, I find myself quote myself quoting First Peter more and more as the days have worn on, especially as contentious as the world has gotten, especially with the hostilities that seem to be working, you know, angling toward the body of Christ. And yet you can't help but take a look at, say, First Peter 3:15 and say, look, you always want to give an answer, but do to do so with gentleness and respect and that's difficult to do in a culture that seems like it's always so openly hostile toward our faith. Talk about how Peter helps us kind of reframe that conversation.
2: For for Americans, I think we're not we're just not used to suffering or persecution. And so any any pushback we get or anyone who sort of it feels like they're not welcoming of our Christian faith, I think it sort of causes us to feel almost uh set off balance. Right. But what's interesting is as Peter's writing to his first century readers, you know, he talks about in, in chapter four, um, since Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. In other words, he's saying you should anticipate, you should expect suffering. Why? Because Christ suffered. And so why would we expect that as his people, our lives would be any different. Now, we're not going to suffer in exactly the same way that Jesus did. His suffering is, you know, unrepeatable. But Peter seems to see a connection between the fact that Christ suffered and therefore his people are going to suffer. And so I think what Peter tries to equip us for is rather than being set off kilter when we experience suffering, persecution, hardship, people questioning or ridiculing our faith, Peter wants us to actually expect that that's going to happen and be ready for it, and it just it it does change your mindset when instead of reacting to that, uh, you sort of learn to
0: think proactively and expect yeah. that that's going to come. It really changes how you engage yeah and it makes it challenging for people who um you know the 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 pushback can make it challenging for people who just kind of assume we'll do the fundraising right we'll get all the right marketing together we'll start the church and and we'll have our way rather than saying hey wait a minute i mean we live in a culture where if we're left to our own devices as sinful fallen people it does become eye for an eye after a while it becomes insult for insult. and one of the things that that Peter helps equip us with, and you'd think, you know, of all people, you know, we always talk about Peter, the big rough and tumble, rugged guy, but this is a guy who says, hey, wait a minute. I mean, we don't have to, and not only that, we shouldn't be living that way. We should be the ones who are the peacemakers, not just trying to be the, you know, uh, the dunking on people on social media saying, ah, I won the argument, that type of thing. Yeah, it's fascinating. In the middle of chapter three, Peter has this, you
2: know, basically telling us to break the evil for evil cycle. Uh, Quotes the Old Testament and and just basically says, hey, that if we're stuck in that cycle of, you know, repaying people who do us evil, which is a lot of what social media has become, honestly, Mm -hmm. um, it, it there's someone has to break that cycle and his exhortation to Christians is, hey, that should be us. Right. And what 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 makes that possible is actually according to Peter the doctrine of justification, right? That if we're if we're justified by faith in Christ, then we don't have to feel justified by winning an argument by being right. We we're actually free to be slandered. We're free to be wrong. We're free to lose an argument every once in a while because our it shows that our justification is not in our rightness, but in Christ's uh, work on our behalf. And so it's interesting to see. Peter basically taking a theological doctrine like this, that I think we all love, especially, you know, those of us who love the gospel and, and treasure Christ. He takes this doctrine that I think sometimes for us connects to salvation and he connects it to actually, this plays out in our relationships and in how we live in the world. This should change how we interact with other human beings.
0: Hmm. I'm talking with Robert Thune today here on The Bottom Line. First, Peter, Life as an Outsider is the brand new book that's up at TheBottomLineShow.com that he's the author of. Help us in these last couple of moments together, Bob. Help us understand then what we can learn from the first century, you mentioned Peter and the challenges with Rome and everything else that that the church was dealing with in the first century. Oftentimes we look at the first century church and say, that's the ideal, that's the standard, that's what we should be doing. I think if the first century church looked at the 21st century church, they might be scratching their head going, uh uh did you guys get all of the new testament i mean uh (laughs) help us help us to understand maybe some of the more glaring things that we're missing i mean we already talked about you know kind of uh, suffering and being able to take a punch and then how we can do good not so much because we're trying to curry favor with god but rather because it's a response to our calling yeah um,
2: well, one of the final things that Peter gives us that's helpful is just the, the contrast between Zion and Babylon. You know, he closes his letter by, by talking about Babylon, which is a veiled reference to Rome. Mm-hmm. And I think what has happened for American Christians is because our culture has been so friendly to Christianity for most of its history, there's a way in which we haven't learned how to be the church in distinction from the world, yes. right? Those, yes. those worlds have kind of blended for us in in certain ways. And, and really for lots of Western societies up until not that long ago. And so Peter helps us understand that actually what it means to belong to the people of God is we're, we're part of a counter culture. We're like a city within the bigger city. And so in the city of Zion, we don't do things like Babylon does. And we don't. We also know that Jesus ultimately is going to triumph over Babylon, and so we don't have to uh, fight and hostile and be be difficult. But we do need to be distinct. And so I think that vision of um, a separate, you know, Augustine used that same that same language of the city of God right. as a way of helping us think about how to live with distinctness in a culture that isn't friendly to us. And that's, I think, really helpful for American Christians because we just haven't had to sort that out quite as much because we've been graced by being in a culture that has been very influenced by Christianity and very friendly toward the church. And so if we can embrace that idea of being being citizens of God's city and not citizens of the earthly city, it helps us start to sort of figure out how to live in that uh, in that tension.
0: Yeah, you know, and I, it's a phrase that I've used, and I'm going to repackage it a little bit, I think, based on our conversation, Bob. Then, because I always am quick to remind people we're citizens of heaven, residents of earth. And the, when we do understand the citizenship versus the residency, I think it makes it easier for us to, to, to work out our faith with yep. fear and trembling. But I also understand, too, that a lot of what I understand of my residency here has been shaped by, as you mentioned, the fact that because of religious liberty and constitutional guidance and things of that nature, and people understanding that God's hand of providence has been on this nation, in spite of our good, bad, or otherwise, uh, that we can often mistake the two, kind of, you know, blur the lines and start to think, well, we are a Christian nation because, and then we give all these, these citations and these examples, and your study in First Peter really helps us frame the conversation for the new world that we're living in, you know, which is one that uh, it's not necessarily new. I think it's just a little more authentic. <laughs> maybe yeah. we're getting a little clearer vision of that. We got 60 seconds left in our conversation with Bob Thune talking about life as an outsider, a study in the book of First Peter. Um, what is your hope for someone who reads this? Obviously, there's a study guide so designed for Bible study or maybe in pastoral instruction. But what is your hope for uh, when you set out to write this? What? Uh, what we were you hoping to accomplish?
2: Yeah, really simply what you'd kind of just said, Rogers. I just want to equip God's people, especially American Christians, to sort of embrace what it means to live in a world where we feel like outsiders, because I think it is different and new, and we're not used to sort of operating in that space. And so I do think First Peter gives us tools and equipping and theological training that helps us do that. And so I hope that as people use this Bible study, it just helps us shift in that direction a little
0: more fully and sort of find our footing in, in a post-Christian world. Well, Pastor Robert Thune, you've helped a lot of people during the past half hour here on the Bottom Line Show uh, really get a, a reframing, as it were, and this is not a finger-in-the-chest type of resource whatsoever, Not, it's not shamey, it's very loving and thoughtful, but it's also a great exhortation for those of us in the Western Church to be able to live more fully the life to which Christ has called us. Robert Thune, the author of the book First Peter, Life as an Outsider, we have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Bob, great to get to know you and get, meet you, and hopefully... we'll have more conversations in the future but for today thanks for being with us here on the bottom line show thanks for the opportunity it's been a privilege Well, privilege has been ours too especially in light of what we heard last night in the state of the union and how crazy the world is getting you begin to realize that we as christians are living as outsiders and so this study guide it's a brand new book first peter life as an outsider uh, by pastor robert thune is up at thebottomlineshow.com now today is everyone wednesday and guess what that means That means everybody who calls the program is going to win something. 800-227-5278 is the number to get through to the bottom line. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. You know, it's amazing to me how many people love to call in when we have more than one copy of a book to give away. And we're very, very grateful that our friends at New Leaf Publishing and Robert Thune have given us not one, not two, not three, not four, but five copies of this book. First Peter, life as an outsider. So if you as a Christian are listening to our conversation here and thinking, man, this is really tough. I mean, I I wanted a book that was a Bible study commentary that said, hey, life is going to be spectacular because you're a Christian. Well, ultimately, eternally it is. But life in the culture can be hard. <laughs> we live in anti-Christian America. Uh, this book will help you and it'll help you as a Bible study. It'll help you as a family resource. And we have five copies to give away. is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Now, coming up on the other side of this break, I will not bore you with the requisite clips of President Biden giving a State of the Union address. He talked for about 72 minutes last night. Um, He was kind of in the Joe Biden, the Democrats love mode with a side order of Donald Trump in terms of the way he presented his talk. But, you know, it's, they just survived a really horrific midterm. They didn't come out bad at all in terms of the Democrat side of the equation. So what do you do if you're the president? You rally the base and get them all enthused for 2024, right? Well, on the other side of this break, I want to play some of the Republican reaction to the State of the Union and also visit a just a brief two, three-minute video that Donald Trump actually posted, not yesterday, but last week with regard to one of the most pressing issues in the culture right now, and that is the transgender issue. That's all coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. My thanks again to pastor and author Robert Thune for joining me for the past half hour. Bob Thune, who is a nephew of US Senator John Thune, the pride of Biola University, and the Senator from South Dakota. Uh, Bob has written a study guide. It's a book, I mean, full-blown book that you can use as a Bible study, study guide, whatever. It's called First Peter, Life as an Outsider. We have a link for the book up at TheBottomLineShow.com. It's everyone Wednesday here on the program, and we have five copies of this book to give away. And boy, I'll tell you what, the timing, I mean, I just love God's sense of humor. Uh, We saw this come up and, you know, we had a chance to get Bob on the show. I thought he might be fun for Super Tuesday, you know, because his uncle's a senator and all that stuff. But as it worked out, today was the day and they were very generous. So... I hope you will call 800-227-5278 right now, 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Remember, once the five books are gone, we still have lots of other freebies and goodies to give away and would love to have you uh, win something. It's everyone Wednesday, so you get the idea. Last night was the State of the Union Address, and by the way, if you're a fan of the National Crawford Roundtable podcast, The audio of the podcast is now up at Crawford Media Group and Apple and Stitcher and Spotify and wherever else the audio goes. The video will be up in a couple of days. It takes our uh, producer, Josh Myers, a little while to get all the video from all the different places. And I must admit that hosts in Colorado and California sometimes don't always get their video uploaded in time. I'm just not mentioning any names, but they don't always get the video together. Uh, If you ever watch the My Hope Now version of the National Crawford Roundtable podcast, by the way, and one of us is talking and you just see their picture, that's usually because we messed up and didn't send the video <laughs> or something happened with the recording, like yours truly here. I, I finally learned how the GoPro camera works and which buttons to push properly so you don't wind up taking pictures or actually one of these times, going to ask Josh if he'll do this. Um, sometimes I accidentally hit the button too hard and it kicks it out of... Um, out of regular video mode and it puts it into fast motion, you know, kind of like they do on those, uh, you know, the the kind of crazy music videos on TikTok. So one of these days, you'll get a picture of me talking really fast because I don't know how to run my camera very, very well. Anyway, uh, last night, State of the Union address. We talk a lot about it on the National Crawford Roundtable podcast. But one of the things that we kept circling back around to, and of course, the podcast is just Bob Duco and Neil Boron, John Rush, and myself talking about different issues, but we don't use sound bites, we don't use clips. But all the guys were just raving about how much they really liked Sarah Huckabee Sanders giving the Republican response to President Biden's address. Now, President Biden's address, as you can imagine, and again, I would say the same thing about Donald Trump, we've got Barack Obama, George W. Bush, when you just survived a midterm election and you did well but you don't have a super majority, then you have to say nice things about your opponent. And for the first few minutes, anyway, Joe Biden was actually a pretty good, you know, uh, it was kind of old Uncle Joe type of mode, was cracking and joking. And uh, made a quip about he goes, hey, Kevin McCarthy, congratulations on becoming Speaker of the House. Of course, Kevin McCarthy's a Republican from uh, Central California. And he said, uh, I know I'm going to ruin my reputation by saying this, but I'm really looking forward to working with you. And, you know, you could hear the drummer in the back going, but a boom, you know, this, It was kind of funny. It was kind of lighthearted. But then it started to go off the rails a little bit once he introduced Chuck Schumer as the Senate minority leader instead of majority leader because the Democrats have a majority in the Senate. And it was amazing how many people on the left side of the equation said it was brilliant. It was bipartisan. He's bringing the country together. And people on the right said, have you fact checked any of the things that he said? Well, I want to share a couple of sound bites with you of Sarah Huckabee Sanders, giving her rebuttal, if you will. The the party, the opposite party always picks some up and coming, you know, person in their party to give a national platform to, and the networks will usually give equal time to, you know, after the hour and change of the speech, they get 10 to 15 minutes to speak their piece. Now if you remember the name Sarah Huckabee Sanders, she is a that Huckabee family. Uh, She's Governor Mike Huckabee's daughter. He has three children, two sons and a daughter. She's the baby of the bunch. You heard him tell me here on The Bottom Line Show that uh, she had to become tough growing up because her brothers used to tease her mercilessly and she learned how to hang in there with them. What's interesting about her journey though is that she wound up becoming the White House press secretary and what people don't know, when Donald Trump was in office, she was probably his most successful and prolific uh, press secretary. Prior to the Trump administration, all press secretaries had an advantage. If you were a member of the press corps and you wanted to get your question answered, you sent your question into the White House, they would pre-screen it, they'd give it to the press secretary who had an answer prepared, and they picked the people they wanted to pick. You knew what your question was, your job was to ask your question, and then they would say, well, you know, Peter Ducey, Fox News, that's a really good question, and they give you the answer, but it was all scripted. It's kind of like championship wrestling. I mean, there were no surprises during the Trump administration. For reasons unbeknownst to us, President Trump said, no, take your best shot. Go ahead. My press secretaries can handle it. They know what I'm all about. Sean Spicer, Kayleigh McEnany, um, Sarah Huckabee Sanders. And so those press secretaries during the Trump administration would take questions that they did not know were coming their way and would answer them brilliantly. And I think Sarah was the best. Took some time away from that, ran for governor of Arkansas. At the age of 40, she was elected the first woman to ever hold the seat of governor of the state of Arkansas. So she's kind of an up-and-comer. After being the governor of Arkansas for a couple of terms, she might wind up being a good presidential nominee. You never can tell. But based on the fact that, and again, President Biden checked off all the boxes, you know, we're going green with technology and we're going to punish the oil industry. And, and uh, he had just a passing message to the sanctity of life community. Uh, one would have thought that since they preyed on the college educated single female voter to get them into the you know, position that they're in right now in terms of, hey, remember your democracy's at risk. Oh, no, we have to vote Democrat. You know, that, that worked. It wasn't, but it motivated them to go vote. They became a huge voting block. The single woke female voting demographic in the United States is larger than all African Americans combined who are registered to vote. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, I want let, to let's get into one soundbite before we take a break, Todd. Uh, th- this is from. The Sarah Huckabee Sanders uh, rebuttal, if you will, it's all the entire speeches up at thebottomlineshow.com, but I wanted to just play a couple of highlights since we talked so much about it on uh, NCR and we did get a chance to hear it. Todd, let's go for it, cut number one.
4: I'm Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Being a mom to three young children taught me not to believe every story I hear. So forgive me for not believing much of anything I heard tonight from President Biden out-of-control inflation and violent crime to the dangerous border crisis and threat from China. Biden and the Democrats have failed you. They know it, and you know it. And it's time for a change. Tonight, let us reaffirm our commitment to a timeless American idea that government exists not to rule the people, but to serve the people. Democrats want to rule us with more government control. But that's not who we are. America is the greatest country the world has ever known because we're the freest country the world has ever known with a people who are strong and resilient.
0: You know, I, I love the fact that she comes right out of the gate and says, hey, here's the deal. You can't fool me because I'm a mom and moms have eyes in the back of their heads. Moms have four ears moms can get every. They've got 17 arms. They can do everything around the house because they have to. They've got to keep it together for their kids. They've got to keep it together for their spouses. They've got to keep it together for their communities. So I love the way she said that. But then she starts marching into, I mean, the Washington Post was fact-checking some of the speech last night and just saying, okay, four Pinocchios here, four Pinocchios here, the the inflation numbers, uh, they're, they're really just kind of horrifying. But Sarah Huckabee Sanders is just getting warmed up. Let's take a quick break and we'll come back with more of her rebuttal to the State of the Union coming up next as the bottom line continues. There is no truth to the rumor that Sarah Huckabee Sanders fronted missing persons when she was in college, but uh, uh, nonetheless, she's uh, a noticeable one. And today here on the bottom line, we're hearing part of her response to President Biden's State of the Union address. By the way, we still have a few moments left and a few callers coming in. Uh, There's still a line or two open if you'd like to get in on our giveaway today. It's everyone Wednesday here on the bottom line. Every Wednesday, everyone wins. And uh, you have a chance to win a copy of a book by Robert Thune, Pastor Robert Thune, nephew of John Thune, U.S. Senator. Uh, It's a great book called First Peter, Life as an Outsider, and it will help you in your walk with the Lord understand what it's like to live in an increasingly post-Christian world, basically an anti-Christian world, because Peter and the early church was dealing with an anti-Christian world themselves and uh, dealing with Rome. 800-227-5278, 227 5278 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. As I mentioned earlier, we have five copies of this book to give away. So on everyone Wednesday, we're going to have five very happy people who picked up this book. But everybody who calls it is going to win something. So that's you are guaranteed. We are a sure thing today. 800-227-5278. Sarah Huckabee Sanders, now the governor of Arkansas, but formerly uh, the White House press secretary under President Trump, giving her rebuttal to some of the claims that President Biden made in his State of the Union address last night. Uh, Todd, let's continue now. Cut number two.
4: Five months ago, I was diagnosed with thyroid cancer. It was a hard time for our family, particularly our kids, Scarlett, Huck, and George. But we kept our faith and persevered. Thanks to exceptional doctors here in Arkansas, a successful surgery, and the grace of God, I am cancer free. Through it all, I couldn't help but think about my mom. She was 20 years old and in her first year of marriage when she was diagnosed with spinal cancer. The doctors told her she might not live. And if she did live, they said she'd never walk again. And if she did walk, she'd definitely never have children. The daughter she was told she'd never have was just sworn in as the new governor of Arkansas and is speaking to you tonight. Adversity and fear of the unknown can paralyze us, but faith propels us to charge boldly ahead. We can't stand still in the face of great challenges. You and I were put on this earth for such a time as this to charge boldly ahead.
0: And there she goes getting all Esther on us. I love that. I love the gumption, the determination, Uh, just telling the story, sharing the facts. Uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, the first woman to be sworn in as governor of the state of Arkansas, uh, 40 years of age, had got plenty of political gas left in the tank. She's just getting warmed up. Uh, Giving her rebuttal to President Biden, the entire rebuttal from her is about 14 minutes. Be honest with you, if you don't want to sit through an hour and 15 minutes of Joe Biden saying basically campaign rah-rah stuff for Democrats, and again, Donald Trump did the same thing in his State of the Union addresses. So this is not a pick on Joe Biden; it's kind of pick on the incumbent president. But to hear what Sarah Huckabee Sanders was saying about this, uh, this speech, and some of the real problems that Americans are facing. I mean, inflation, what you heard the president say was inflation's coming down. What you didn't hear the president say was it was up for 13 straight months before Russia invaded Ukraine. And now it is cooling to 4.6%, which means it's only 4.6% higher than it was 9% higher the year before. It's it's not like it went down below the original prices. Gas is $1.50 a gallon cheaper. Well, that's because gas was $4 a gallon higher than it was prior. So what do we do with our elected officials? We hold them accountable and we carry on. We've got more of Sarah Huckabee Sanders and a word from Donald Trump that you really wanna hear coming up in the next segment of today's edition of The Bottom Line, it's coming up next. Welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, wrapping up our giveaway of Bob Thune's book on First Peter, Life as an Outsider, a perfect resource to have as a Christian living in anti-Christian America. I think we've gone from Christian America to post-Christian America to now anti-Christian America. That It's not the end of the world. I mean, Jesus said the world's going to hate us. So, I mean, that's that's okay. How do we navigate? And, and maybe the best way to approach this is to take a look at what the president says or what Congress does or, you know, whatever. I mean, Joe Biden in his State of the Union address last night uh, made a cursory comment uh, with regard to abortion, wanting to make sure abortion rights because they're necessary health care, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, he, as a practicing Catholic, both he and the vice president and the former Speaker of the House, I mean, they, I know they don't, one of their beliefs there don't line up to say, I'm a Catholic and I believe in God and I'm going to heaven, but I'm also literally predatorily going after pre-born children uh, that God knit together in the womb, uh, that it doesn't it just doesn't add up and i know there are a lot of people who profess faith in christ who say i'm pro-abortion without realizing that maybe you're not as solid in your faith as you thought i mean I, I, it, we saw what happened when roe versus wade was overturned right roe versus wade was overturned and abortion is still legal in half the states in the united states so it didn't go away it just wasn't legal on a federal level. So for Joe Biden to say, I'm actively campaigning to make it federal law, it doesn't add up. A lot of these laws that are being bandied about, though, actually come with some other consequences. I want to get into a, a, a video clip here. Um, before we get back into Sarah Huckabee Sanders, I, I, wa- I want you to hear something that may be some of the most presidential uh, material you'll hear in quite some time. Uh, It's from President 45, who has announced his candidacy for the president. He wants to run again. He still has a term that he can serve, so he can run for president yet again if he wants to. And he's announced that he's campaigning for president in 2024. If you want to know what the Democrats are campaigning on in 2024, find the clip of uh, Joe Biden's speech. It's about 72 minutes long and listen to it and then say, oh, that's what they're doing. I mean, and Democrat strategy is really brilliant. They know their audience. They know how to get them motivated, get them scared, never assured, always scared. There's a fear factor. And then they're unified in their message. In the midterms in 2022, which should have been on paper a Republican landslide. It should have been a red wave. Joe Biden's popularity, all the other were down, all the mile markers, if you will, for what makes a successful presidency were pointing to a red wave. There's just one problem. The Republicans were not unified in a message. The Republicans did not have the bandwidth to rally around the the right candidates in each uh, market. And quite frankly, there were some purse strings that the RNC had that they could have used to work toward campaigning. And guys like Mitch McConnell said, no, we're not going to spend money in that area. And they lost. All the Democrats had to do is say, look, Roe versus Wade was overturned by a radicalized Supreme Court. The Supreme Court wants to take away your rights. They want to take away your health care. They want to talk away your freedom. They're going to rewrite the Constitution. You're scared of them. Your democracy is at risk. So go vote like your life depends on it. And you heard that message over and over and over and over and over again. And guess what happened? That 40 vote swing in the house that everybody was anticipating, the Republicans barely eked out a majority. I think it's 218 to whatever it is. I mean, and then had all the infighting with Kevin McCarthy as to who was going to be the speaker of the house. Democrats know how to message and Joe Biden messaged perfectly for his base. But did it really strike a chord with the American people? I'm sorry I'm gonna jump back. Let's go back to Sarah Huckabee Sanders now. We got a few more clips of hers and then we'll get into Donald Trump talking about transgenderism because it's fascinating what he had to say. Okay, this is the Republican response last night. They always pick somebody who's part of the team, kind of an up and comer. I think the Democrats have had Pete Buttigieg on there a time or two. Um, This time it was Sarah Huckabee Sanders, former White House press secretary under Donald Trump, but now the governor of Arkansas, Uh, Here's what she had to say. Are we at cut three or cut four? Whichever one we're at, go ahead and play it.
4: I'll be the first to admit President Biden and I don't have a lot in common. I'm for freedom, he's for government control. At 40, I'm the youngest governor in the country. And at 80, he's the oldest president in American history. I'm the first woman to lead my state. And he's the first man to surrender his presidency to a woke mob that can't even tell you what a woman is. In the radical left's America, Washington taxes you and lights your hard-earned money on fire, but you get crushed with high gas prices, empty grocery shelves, and our children are taught to hate one another on account of their race, but not to love one another or our great country. Whether Joe Biden believes this madness or is simply too weak to resist it, his administration has been completely hijacked by the radical left. The dividing line in America is no longer between right or left. The choice is between normal or crazy. It's time for a new generation of Republican leadership.
0: Well, wow, she said a lot there. Can we unpack it for just a little bit? The divide now is not between right and left, it's between normal and crazy. And what makes that such a fascinating conversation is that each side thinks that the other side is crazy and their side is normal. If you look at the social media posting that went on last night, and it usually happens on cue. Again, Democrats get their talking points out to the key influencers on social media and everybody says the same thing. Last night it was, wow, that was the best State of the Union address in history. Way to go, President Biden. Bipartisan, bring this together, woo That's what you saw virtually every leftist organization say. But I really took to heart what Sarah Huckabee Sanders said in her response where she said, either Joe Biden He's unaware that this is happening, or he's too weak to fight it. Brothers and sisters, the woke, progressive side of the equation took a huge gamble in the 2020 election. Joe Biden is their mainstream, God, country, and apple pie uh, Democratic leader, will appease the people who are on the Anglo side of the equation, but they needed something new and different, and whatever to happen on the undercard, as it were, and that was now Vice President Kamala Harris. Dad's from Jamaica, mom is from India, Californian to his uh, Delawarean. I mean, that's the balance. But also, she had been voted during her brief time in the United States Senate as the most leftist progressive senator in American history with regard to what she voted for, legislation she proposed, and the money she wanted to spend. So the party was taken over before the election tallies were counted in 2020. So Joe Biden has surrendered his party to progressives and wokes, and they doubled down on the woke females in the 2022 election. It worked. So we, on the conservative side of the equation, have a couple of different options that we have to consider. First and foremost, what kind of country do we want to live in? Secondly. You can't stand back and hang on to, hey, uh, 1972 was a great year. And Billy Graham and Jerry Falwell and Richard Dine, the moral majority. And yeah, uh, 1983, that was up super. James Dobson, Chuck Colson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That world is gone. The majority of people in the United States now believe that they are the center of the universe, that they tell their own truth. And we, as Robert Thune pointed out in his book on First Peter, we are the outsiders. We really are the strangers and aliens. So how do we handle ourselves? May I submit to you, Exhibit A, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, the governor of Arkansas, speaking the truth in love to power. The Democratic Party, Joe Biden in particular is their leader, the first man to surrender his party to progressive ideology, the entire party. Oh yeah, he talked about building the middle class and uh, shovel-ready jobs and you know iron workers, local forty. We're going to build that big old bridge in Cincinnati. Okay, yeah, we know you. That's that Democrat America on the progressive side loves to hear those stories. Joe six-pack and stronger middle class, you know, whatever. This is the party that has been gutting the middle class for the past forty years. Republicans haven't done a lot to help either, but. For for him to say, we're back, manufacturing's back, everyone's back, back. No, that's a good speech and that rallies the troops and they don't think it through. The question is do Republicans and conservatives think it through? That's what we're doing right now. Um, we've got more to share with you on the other side of this break and actually I'm gonna get into in this next segment, uh, a sp- presentation that was released on video last week featuring former President Donald Trump discussing the issue of transgenderism in the United States and the fact that there are so many uh, politicians and pharmaceutical companies, et cetera, that are all the ready to turn America into transgender nation. And what he proposed when he is reelected, as he put it, I'll tell you what, I'd be curious to get your thoughts on it. Let's take a quick break and we'll come back with a little Donald Trump for your Everyone Wednesday in just a moment as the bottom line continues get your money out of a traditional 401k or IRAD now. What we have is we have
1: a problem in the sense that, and I've got a big pot of money. No one's advising me on what to do with this big pot of money. And so I'm just kind of putting it all over the place. People in the early 50s and early 60s, when they went to work, they had pension plans. Hey, they knew when they retired, they're going to have a pension plan. Well, it is a real challenge when you think about the fact that here I am, now I'm retired and You're now responsible for everything to do with your retirement, everything to do with the growth, everything to do with what you're going to do. And so this kind of gives you a feeling of relief to know that, hey, I'm not the only one out here suffering. When you see the the severity of what the 401k has limited you to, and you realize that it really isn't what it was cracked up to be, this kind of takes them down the road and shows
0: them how easily that can be solved. Call 800-696-9970. 800-696-9970, Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, kind of a super Tuesday on Wednesday, but because of the State of the Union address last night, uh, playing some of the reaction from Sarah Huckabee Sanders, who gave the official Republican uh, Party nod, if you will, to what uh, the GOP is all about. And she said, you know, we need a Republican leadership. Uh, boy, she really spoke truth, but also spoke truth to power about some of the things Joe Biden said when he talked about the, uh, you know, we created 12 million new jobs, you know, not taking into consideration that 25 million jobs were destroyed during COVID and to create 12 million back. And plus the Bureau of Labor Statistics, you'll hear me bring this up tomorrow on National Crawford Roundtable. Bureau of Labor Statistics keeps track of jobs and there are jobs created and jobs lost in every quarter. When you only focus on the jobs created, it's kind of like that guy who goes to you know, a place where you can gamble like Las Vegas or Atlantic City. How much do you win? Oh, yeah, I won you know thousand dollars or whatever they won. okay? uh how much did it cost you? W- what do you mean? All they focus on is how much they won. They gambled and won. They don't think about how much they spent to win that money. All they can focus on is the winning. Th- this is the great thing about, you know, having clear vision in the Christian worldview. <laughs> whatever whatever good we do in this life is is for glory to God. But we also know we're sinners too. And there's a scorecard that people who do not have Jesus Christ paying the penalty for their sin and washing it clean um, will never be able to pay. And that's just going to be a horrible way to end your life and spend eternity. So when it comes to um, the, the idea, he said, well, you know, we've created 12 million jobs in the Bureau of Labor Statistics reports that in the first quarter of last year, 2022, American businesses created 8.4 million jobs. That's great. Way to go. At the same time, Americans lost jobs to the tune of 6.9 million. So the net increase is only 1.5. But the president could make that speech saying, under my leadership, we created... Tw-. And we're yay, way to go. Woo! I mean, every president does that, but we just have to hold somebody's foot to the fire. Another issue that's becoming even bigger, though, is this issue of transgenderism. You wondered back in 2015 when the Supreme Court invented the right to same sex, quote unquote, marriage, what would be next? In Oklahoma earlier today, as the Oklahoma State Senate is uh, taking a look at what they call Senate Bill 129, which would prohibit doctors from, quote, providing gender transition procedures or referral services relating to such procedures to anyone under the age of 26. Good job, pro-life Governor Kevin Stitt. And he uses logic and reason. He says, look, here's the deal. Minors should not be having life-altering, gender-altering surgeries. In the state of Oklahoma, if you're a minor, you can't vote. You can't purchase alcohol. You can't purchase cigarettes. Why on earth would we let a child who can't do any of those things reassign their gender? Makes a lot of sense, but what you hear in the White House these days is, oh yeah, gender-affirming care. Gender-affirming care. Well, recently Donald Trump took to the social media waves with his reaction to the transgender stuff that's happening in the culture right now, and basically not if I'm elected president, but when I'm elected president. You got to hear this. Todd, let's go ahead with Donald Trump, cut number one.
5: Here's my plan to stop the chemical, physical, and emotional mutilation of our youth. On day one, I will revoke Joe Biden's cruel policies on so-called gender-affirming care. Ridiculous, a process that includes giving kids puberty blockers, mutating their physical appearance, and ultimately performing surgery on minor children. Can you believe this? I will sign a new executive order instructing every federal agency to cease all programs that promote the concept of sex and gender transition at any age. I will then ask Congress to permanently stop federal taxpayer dollars From being used to promote or pay for these procedures and pass a law prohibiting child sexual mutilation in all 50 states it'll go very quickly
0: interesting to hear him talk about uh, gender affirming care quote unquote as mutilation but when you think about it if you are born male and you want to reconfigure your body to look like a woman i mean you're talking surgeries not just in the places between where you think they had to be but Facial surgery, uh, you know, Adam's apple surgery. I mean, I'm sure there are things that you could do for hands and feet too, because your hands and feet look a little too masculine. But it, it got me thinking as I was listening to President Trump there for just a moment, when Governor Kevin Stitt in Oklahoma said, minors can't vote, minors can't purchase alcohol, they can't purchase cigarettes. Is there any procedure that you know of where a child under the age of 18 could go to a hospital and say, I'd like to check myself in for surgery? Anything. I mean, I tonsils, adenoids, um, you know, hernia, uh, putting pins in a broken bone. I, I'm trying to think of the, the common. Ch- what about leukemia? What about? I mean, some of these other childhood diseases that are major. Does the ch- is there not a spot on the admission form in the hospital for the parent to sign on behalf of the minor because the minor signature is not valid? Why are places like the People's Republic of California then saying, oh, not only can the child determine whether or not they're going to have surgery, come from different states. Bring your child from the state that won't allow it here to California and have the gender altering body mutilating surgery. I don't know who needs to hear this in the White House, but this is kind of a no brainer. What if the. Uh, hypothetical here what if there were a kid in one of your sons or grandsons or granddaughters classes at school and they had a situation where they'd lost an eye or a limb maybe a digit a finger or something like that um i think about phil keggy the christian guitarist remember phil's story he um on his right hand i believe he grew up in kansas or something like that there was a well out in the family lot and he was out with the well pumping water one day he's about four years old and for whatever reason the ring finger on his right hand got caught in the well and the only way they could save his hand was to amputate the finger he even wrote about it in one of his songs what if the kids are looking at phil Kagi all day long at school going wow that is so cool that is really cool i want to be cool like phil keggie i want to remove my finger too And then what if it became a cause to celeb? What if all of a sudden you get counseling at school for all the children who wanna remove the ring finger on their right hand? Because all the cool kids are doing it, right? Is there a a medical reason for doing that? Well, no, I was born with 10 fingers, but I really wanna be with nine. I know eight fingers and two thumbs, but you get the idea. And so next thing you know, here come the laws. Here come the activists. This is hand affirming care. Our children have the right to cut off their right ring finger, because it'll be easier for them to navigate in life. They might become despondent or suicidal because they've got all 10 fingers on their hands. And I've... and next thing you know, a law gets passed and then you got Gavin Newsom saying, hey, bring your kids to California. Now I know that sounds ridiculous. and I'm, I, I bring that as an example to sound ridiculous for the whole reason of then asking the question, why on earth? Are we allowing eight, nine, year old kids to have their bodies mutilated and the parents don't get a decision? Well, usually there's one parent behind the scenes going, Ooh, I think my son's transgender. Ooh, I'll be on Time Magazine. Ooh, I'll be on uh, Oprah Winfrey show. This will be so exciting for me. President Trump continued with what he will do once elected to stop this transgender nonsense. Todd, go ahead, cut number two.
5: I will declare that any hospital or healthcare provider that participates in the chemical or physical mutilation of minor youth will no longer meet federal health and safety standards for Medicaid and Medicare and will be terminated from the program immediately. Furthermore, I will support the creation of a private right of action for victims to sue doctors who have unforgivably performed these procedures on minor children. The Department of Justice will investigate Big Pharma, and the big hospital networks to determine whether they have deliberately covered up horrific long-term side effects of sex transitions in order to get rich at the expense of vulnerable patients. In this case, very vulnerable. We will also investigate whether Big Pharma or others have illegally marketed hormones and puberty blockers, which are in no way licensed or approved for this use. My Department of Education will inform states and school districts that if any teacher or school official suggests to a child that they could be trapped in the wrong body, they will be faced with severe consequences, including potential civil rights violations for sex discrimination.
0: And it goes on. Uh, All I can say to that is whether you like Donald Trump or not, it's a great presentation. We'll put the whole thing up at thebottomlineshow.com. Some final thoughts on presidential leadership and presidential speeches and reactions coming up next as the bottom line continues. Hey, before we go any further, I want to thank Stephen in uh, Westminster. Uh, Stephen rang us up uh, yesterday at the end of the broadcast here and made a contribution to Preborn. It takes $28 to provide a full ultrasound appointment setting for a mom who comes in gets the ultrasound, uh, the pregnancy test, and then the ultrasound done. 85% 85% of the women who come to a pre-born clinic wind up choosing life for their child, and more than 10,000 women last year chose eternal life for themselves because they made decisions to receive Christ as Savior. Now, Stephen made a monthly donation of $28, and so that means every month he's going to be providing the means for another baby's life to be saved. Think about that. That's less than a dollar a day. You can do that. We can all do that. Let's make that donation call right now. Go to kbrightradio.com, hit the uh, pre-born banner on the website right there. It's got a couple of kids wrapped up in swaddling clothes that look really cute. Make your tax-deductible donation right there to Preborn. Or give us a call, 833 850 baby 833-850-2229. Do what Stephen did. Make that $28 monthly donation right now. Make $56 and save two kids' lives if you want to. Or make a one-time donation of $2,800 to save 100 kids' lives. Preborn, call them today, 833 850 baby Welcome back to the Bottom Line show. I'm Roger Marsh. I want to thank uh, Stephen from Westminster again for that $28 monthly donation to Preborn. I really appreciate uh, those who are calling in with those uh, those gifts and also Michael who uh, called in from Menifee with a donation of uh, uh, another monthly gift as well. And uh, you know, every time we hear from somebody who is making that donation, we know that every $28 interval is going to save one more life, and we know that 85% of the women who come to pre-born to have that ultrasound are going to uh, are going to choose life for their child. And the tens of thousands of women who have gone to pre-born clinics and received Christ as Savior because of the Christian witness is even more impressive. And the thing about this, I use pre-born to kind of juxtapose against what we heard last night in the State of the Union address. As President Biden was throwing a lot of numbers and rhetoric and things out there, as all politicians do when they're campaigning, he's trying to energize his base. But we can fact check. We can take a look at the numbers. And when it comes to the sanctity of human life, we know mostly how many children have been aborted in the United States, over 65 million. We know how the FDA has been in collusion with the abortion industry to use uh, medication that was not approved for abortive purposes. They would never want to admit they were killing a baby's life, so they find other things that were approved for other uses and then go ahead and use them to end the life of a preborn child. But the same FDA and the same CDC, when presented with a similar opportunity to help people who are battling COVID, would not allow those medications to be used to fight COVID because that's not what they were approved for. So you have kids becoming transgender, using medications and surgical procedures that aren't approved by the FDA for that purpose, and yet they're still doing it. This is the upside down world that we live in. This is the craziness that we as Christians have to navigate. And I'm encouraged by the number of people who are saying, yes, I want to register to vote. I want to run for office. I I know several bottom line listeners who are Christians who ran for city council seats and school board seats and were victorious in 2022. It's important to be a part of the culture. But maybe the most important part of what we're going through right now is to understand, like Peter did, when you read Peter's first epistle. Peter's first epistle is basically writing to the church that's in rome in an anti-christian world and i'll tell you that was um uh, that was a real game changer for me to look at that and say okay yeah the bible is written for today's world it certainly is hey before we uh um, wrap things up here today i want to congratulate some people want to say congratulations to brian from redlands to devony from san juan capistrano Nancy from Fullerton, Alan from Chula Vista, and Scott from Rancho Palos Verdes. All of them won. It's everyone Wednesday, so everybody called in one something. But those are the five winners of the five books we have from Robert Thune on 1 Peter, Life as an Outsider. Guys, I hope you enjoy that book as much as I did. And I hope you'll put it into practice. Because we are not, we're here for such a time as this. You heard Sarah Huckabee Sanders go all Esther on us saying that the reason that she's here is because God delivered her mother from spinal cancer. The reason Sarah Huckabee Sanders was able to give the address last night is because five months ago, God delivered and healed her from thyroid cancer. But instead of focusing on what we don't have and the rights and liberties that are being taken away, can we take a look at how good God is and how limitless he is and how abundant he is? God is never surprised by what happens in our world. There's no way we're going to get to the point where he's going to go, oh man, they're doing that Satan song at the Grammys. I didn't see that one coming. He's omnipotent. He's omniscient. But he's always in control too. And he loves you. He loves you and me so much. He sent his only begotten son to pay the penalty for your sin and for my sin and for the sin of anybody who will say, yes, I believe Jesus Christ died to pay the penalty for my sin. He conquered death and hell. And now he lives eternally and rules and reigns with the father you are called his child. So live in that glory. Don't worry about what's happening in the law. Focus on what's happening with the Lord. That's the bottom line.